Greetings and welcome to Brace. On today's episode, I will be interviewing Paul on his recent reading of Getting Right with Lincoln, Correcting Misconceptions About Our Greatest President by Edward Steers Jr. So, Paul, when, where, and why did you get Getting Right with Lincoln? It's a great question. Uh, it was probably in late February, early March. I picked it up on a date with my girlfriend. We were going through a bookstore and she was looking for some specific books and I was looking for another book to have a good book review on. And so we ended up in the history section and this one stuck out to me, first of all, because Lincoln's head is sideways on the cover of the book. And I was like, mm, what's this about? And then when I picked it up and opened it to the front cover, uh, in that first paragraph of the description, it purported to answer a question that had popped up to me recently on Twitter. I saw an image that was basically accusing Lincoln of being dictatorial. And the, the example that they used was, well, he executed 38 Dakota Sioux warriors. So he was a dictator, he was evil, all these things. And in the opening paragraph, it asks, did Lincoln order the murder of 38 Dakota Sioux warriors because of his hatred of Native Americans? So I thought, wow, is this book really answering a question that has popped up for me over the past week on Twitter about someone in history that I want to know more about? So when I saw that, I said, let's just get this book and answer this question. I opened it up to the contents as well, and it seemed like there is good information in here and, and good questions that I didn't even know I needed to ask. So it was fun to pick up this book, and I think it was a good decision for me. If you could please just give us a brief summary slash synopsis of what's covered in the book. Sure, I'd be happy to. The point of the book really is is for the author to go through history and talk about some of the myths and legends surrounding Lincoln, uh, parse out as much fact as he can around it, and then give some level of conclusion if it's available. Some of the myths include that his father was a was a bad father and they had a very strained relationship, that he had a, a very young love that was really the love of his life, the myth around the Dakota warriors as well as him being a reluctant emancipator, not really actually wanting to end slavery. So all of that is covered and more in the book. But it's a it's a chapter by chapter book where he sets up a myth, talks about the fact around it. And then if historians are split, like the young loved one, there was one time a panel of Lincoln historians that were asked about this and they split dead even 11 and 11 uh, disagreed on whether or not he was in love with with Ann, Ann Rutledge from his time in New Salem. And so that is the book. It's it's a history, but it also is is really a history of the histories. So he he talks about the different schools of thought when it comes to Lincoln and allows you to make your own judgment. He doesn't suggest that he has all the answers, but he gives you as much fact as he can. So when it comes to hearing about some of these myths, which ones were most entertaining, exciting, or enlightening to you? A lot of them were quite fascinating to, to read and learn about, but the ones that I identified with the most and would talk the most about if someone asked me about this book would be the shiftless father myth that his, his dad wasn't a very good guy and he had a very strained relationship with him. Lincoln's mother died when he was nine. So his father was the one that raised him. And there is proof that he was a disciplinarian to some degree, but there's also proof that he was a very loving father and cared about Lincoln's education and these things that aren't necessarily 
things you cared about in the 1820s. That was a very big takeaway and, and some of the interesting parts. Like I said, Anne Rutledge, uh, just how, how much fascination there is with a young love, I think is was interesting to learn about and just how far people went to try to prove this and how unproven it still is. All of that was interesting. And then, of course, the Dakota suit, getting the answer to my own question on why I opened the book, which I had to get through more than half the book to, to get to, was really awesome. And it, and it answered the question in a way that I couldn't have predicted, but was wonderful. So when it comes to those being your favorite myths, what facts did you hear about each that drew you to your own conclusions? I don't know that I, I necessarily was drawn to my own conclusions on on all of them. First of all, there's, there's a story in here, and I forget if it's in the chapter about the Native Americans or about his father, but Lincoln's dad was a kid when his dad was killed, and his dad's name was Abraham Lincoln as well. It's who he's named after. So Lincoln's grandfather was killed in front of his three boys when just out farming by a Native American. He shot him in the back. Uh, and so the, the three kids ran inside and, and the oldest one grabbed a gun and shot back. And that's why the two warriors ran away. So the, that's why that's why they uh, managed to survive. That is an interesting level set. And then learning some facts, the idea that he isn't a very good dad when he's clearly a very skilled carpenter and a lot of his works exist to this day. There are like 11 or 12 pieces in circulation, including some cupboards and some desks and some things like that that showed he was quite a skilled craftsman i thought that was fascinating because for me i do love old things if i can come across a book that was printed in 1911 i'm going to be super excited to have that if i you know anything from the 1800s is so cool to me just that it has survived for 100 years in today's day and age when things are built to last for about 14 seconds so that was one of the things about his father that that stuck out to me and then for some of the other ones they don't have a lot of facts around this uh, or or primary documents to, to really point us to. And so that fact in and of itself that this became a big part of Lincoln's mythos was curious to me and, and, and a little bit interesting. It's wild that it split so evenly without that many documents. The reason for that is there was a historian whose name I don't have written down for us here, but he set up that myth to last throughout the ages by first of all setting out uh, a bunch of people to find out as much information about Lincoln's life as possible and then when he got all that back he first of all compiled some information and, and put together something like a biopic of Lincoln's life and then started touring and so when he opened up a lecture circuit he started it in, in Lincoln's hometown of Springfield, and how he began the lecture was Lincoln loved Anne Rutledge better than his own life. This is in November of 1866. This is one year after Lincoln passed. So he sent out all these people. They're called like Herndon's messengers. His uh, William Herndon was the historian that was putting this together. And that really set the stage for history to think about that as a primary part of Lincoln's life and then for people to try to back that up and find that it's, it's very hard to. It makes me think about trusted sources. When it comes to experts in a certain field, oftentimes 
they don't have to cite examples. As an expert, we just believe what they say. So historians have a lot of power in writing history when they say this is how things went. It relates a little bit to the idea of vi the victors write the history, right? Yeah. Well, that and I think to relate it to our everyday life, the people who own the news are writing our current history. Yeah. They're writing a headline and people run with that and people start discussing it at work or with friends, with family. We don't do a good job of looking back further at, at who cited it, who sourced it. And so it yeah. makes me think just, about just the experts in the field having that much power. We we just believe when Dr. Fauci says it didn't come from a lab. Like, yeah, not everybody, not everybody. OK, well, that's a good thing, I would say. <laughs> I, I would agree with that. Um, and then can I I'd like to tell the story just because it was the reason I picked up the book. Some of the facts on the Dakota 38. I would um, love to hear about it to, to set the context for everybody. This book takes place. There's a, a very cool picture of what the United States looked like at the time. And of the two billion acres of land that makes up the continental United States, 900 million of them were still just territory. So almost half the land mass of the U.S. were unincorporated to, into states. They were just territories. Part of those territories is where the Dakota Nation existed. What we know, now know is North and South Dakota mostly was controlled by the Dakota tribe at the time. And that's right next to Minnesota, which was a state which was part of the Union during the Civil War. Um, and during that Civil War, there was a small dispute between four warriors and one family up in Minnesota. And they ended up killing the, the settler and then uh, killing his family and burning his house down. And then went back to their tribe and basically said, like, well, this is what happened. There's going to be probably some retribution. So they talked about it. And the chief decided, yes, let's go to war. So then they just started attacking uh, Minnesotans. And most of the military age men at that time were down fighting the Civil War. So they were kind of really doing the, the Dakotas were doing real well with taking care of uh, the women and children and, and everything going on there. So finally, after multiple pleas from the governor, Lincoln said, OK, yeah, here you can have some of your soldiers back that are from Minnesota. So he sent a couple of, of units back up. And they managed to take down the, the Dakota warriors until they surrendered. When that happened, over 500 of them were arrested. They went on trial and 400 were convicted of a capital offense that would be deserving of being killed under the War Powers Act. So the president has certain war powers that includes military tribunals. So they were put under these military tribunals. And when he got the the memo saying, hey, these are the 400 warriors that we're going to put to death. We need your approval. He sent back asking for the transcripts of the trial. So they sent him the transcripts. And and Lincoln, I don't know if you, you knew this, but he's a lawyer. He uh, was studied in law. So he went back through every single one of those 400 cases. I think it was 403 or something like that. And determined that 38 of them were okay to be put to death the rest of them he said were just basically acting as enemy combatants in a war and so they didn't deserve to be killed in this case so it was the ones that 
committed war crimes, uh, whether that was uh, raping or uh, torture of children or whatever it was, uh, those are the ones that he approved putting to death. It was amazing to me to learn that in the middle of the Civil War, Lincoln basically audited 400 trials rather than just condemn people to die, when I don't think history would have seen him very differently. Like, the people that accuse him of being a, a dictator for killing the 38 Dakotas would have a little bit more justification if he killed 400 of them, but they're still calling him the same thing. And so really, it was it was his moral judgment that said, I, I need to know the facts of the case in order to approve of this. Uh, and I think he bore the weight of all of those lives with conviction. Well, you know, we see it in TV shows where there's a jury having to determine if someone's going to get the death penalty or not. And even just for one individual to say, we know without a, without any doubt that this person is one guilty and two, his punishment should be death. And so when given 400, I mean, are you really going to take the lives of 400 people without doing that the due audit, diligence. Yeah. that due diligence. At the same time, he's he, he's in the middle of the bloodiest war in American history, right? He is in the middle of a, a country that is split apart. 300 lives up north in a little tiny, not even territorial dispute. Minnesota wasn't trying to move on the Dakotas. They just got attacked, and so whatever. I agree with you, but of course, it, that's what I'm saying is that it speaks to his character that he took that time. And I was wrong on the number. I apologize. It was 303 cases reviewed, and he found that actually 39 of them warranted the death penalty, and then one of them was stayed. The execution was stayed, so it ended up being 38. But I want to also add that there was a lot of political pressure that was being put on Lincoln by the the locals in Minnesota. They were saying, you'll, you'll never win Minnesota, right? Who's running for reelection. If you don't kill these 303, if you don't approve of this, there's going to be an uprising. You're not going to win Minnesota, like all of this political pressure. And he quite easily cut through that and said, I need to do the right thing. So that was very vindicating for me on my initial gut reaction. When I see that thing on Twitter, I'm like, there's no way. Like, yes, I knew that he like suspended he had like a, a national paper or something at the time, like the, the media was a little bit controlled by the government during the Civil War. Uh, and there were other powers that he ex, uh, exercised that other presidents have not exercised. But no other president has been in a civil war either. Yeah. And when you think about it that way. Of course, someone who's in a situation that's never been done before is going to do things that nobody has ever done before. Yep. It seems kind of common sense in a way. Paul, why is history, specifically Lincoln's, important to you? Yeah, I appreciate the question. I, I have always had a, a fascination with American history just because we're in a experiment that is unique in, a, in human history, which is the, the attempt to set up a government that is in alignment with human nature to allow for the most flourishing society possible while accepting human nature. So presidential history has always been a big part of that because that's the most, you know, the chief executive is, is the most powerful political figure. Uh, and to see how different presidents have led the nation in different ways has always been inspiring to me just to see what it takes to be a leader. And Lincoln is pretty universally 
stated as a top two president. It's not really under contention that he's outside of the top three. Some people put Washington ahead of him. That's respectable. Some people put FDR ahead of him, and I, I would definitely disagree with that. Many people put Lincoln as the very best president. He he had such a, a mandate, right? Going in to his presidency is when the Civil War breaks out. Basically, him getting elected causes the Civil War almost. And so understanding the weight of that on your shoulders and everything you have to do in order to keep the country together. I think he's just one of the most fascinating people in, in American history. Um, and I, I like history overall. Putting yourself in a different time and place and trying to imagine living that out is difficult but fruitful and worthwhile and in, in my estimation during the chapter on ann rutledge they talk about how lincoln's family moved from kentucky to illinois at one point and it was a 200 mile journey and it took 15 days from march 1st to march 16th and it was so painful and difficult and all of these things and i just laugh at that now because of how many times i've gone from cincinnati to akron and it's over 200 miles, and I do that in an evening after work. Just the the differences in how people had to live back then. I think it's it's always nice to put yourself in someone else's shoes in history and then be able to appreciate all that you have now. Would you say when looking at history, do you spend more time looking at attributes you want to have or looking at mistakes individuals have made in the past and saying, I don't want to make that same mistake. Oh, I don't necessarily know if it's one's more than the other. I think I find parts of history that interest me like World War II, like, yeah, a, a character like Lincoln, and I want to learn more. And then I think there's there's a mixture of both in there. So we're all individuals and nobody is going to be perfect throughout history. So you have both sides to learn from. I think there are, even if you go way back in history and look at a character like Genghis Khan, who <laughs> cut the carbon footprint of the world by how many people he killed. You can still learn incredible things about tactics and influence and military preparation and all of these things while recognizing that he was a pretty evil person in, in, in how he acted. So I don't know if I have a, a good answer to you on, on which one is more important, but I'm I'm curious. I don't know if you've read many histories. Do you have an answer to that question? I think it depends on what I'm looking for. I know that, and this is maybe tangential, but when I watch media or read media, I like seeing the ways to not do it. I like seeing the counterexamples. I like seeing someone made that mistake okay, don't act like that. I think it's sometimes easier for us to learn how not to act than how to act in a way. So I think for me, I want to see the mistakes people made and say, I don't want to do it that way. Mm. Okay. Yeah. N um, negative examples are more important for you than positive ones. That's interesting. It's, it's not all the time because sometimes you want to be inspired and sometimes you want to see motivation and success but i know that when i resonate with a character and they screw up i can put myself into that character's position and be like that's why i screwed up or this is why i thought the wrong way before and Funny. i can i can see them making the mistake and try not to make the same mistake 
now that you say that, I think probably when I'm watching the media and TV shows and movies, I want to be inspired. I want it to be a positive person that I'm putting their shoes on. And then when I'm reading, I'm I'm more okay having a a more cerebral approach to it. And therefore, learning about people's flaws or the things they did badly comes more naturally to me. So that's uh, I hadn't thought about that like that before. So I appreciate the question. So would you recommend this book for our listeners? If you have an interest in American history and presidential history and in a scrutiny of history itself, uh, yes, I would recommend this book. It was it was not a difficult read. It gets a little bit into the weeds on some of the the topics. But again, I think it's it's fun to learn about how people have. First of all, there's a lot of lies that are, are told in this book about the lies are explained in this book about how people have done things to try to become famous. So there, there are two specific examples I'm talking about. But regardless, yes, I would recommend this book. And I think that it was a really fun way for me to to dive into American history this year because it's the first history book that I've read this year. Awesome. On a scale of one to 10, where do you rank getting right with Lincoln? Uh, the age old question. I would probably I'm going to give this book an 8.0. Uh, it was it was a very good book, but uh, I think it could have been I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily want to say it could have been better. I think I think it did its job really well. There's just only so high that I can rank a book if it doesn't really like move me personally and how I'm going to live my life type thing. So, yeah, it, but so, very solid book. Happy with it. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to explain your uh, your reading of Getting Right with Lincoln. So thank you, Paul. Thanks, Tommy. Have a good one. Bye-bye. We ask you to follow us on Instagram at brace.22. Paul's Twitter is at Paul from Brace. And be sure to email us at brace22 at protonmail.com. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you are listening and send to a friend if you found value in this discussion. Thanks. We appreciate it. 